0: to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken and...
1: And I'm Keith Isles and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy talking about other filmmakers' work and related topics. And today we, for this special, we are joined by uh, a returning guest of ours, uh, Chris Rogers, who was our guest on the Miami Vice podcast, which uh, to date I believe is the most listened to of all of our podcasts. So welcome back,
2: Chris. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me back. Um I'm sure my presence had nothing whatsoever to do with that excellent involve, but um in the vague hope that it has, um hopefully I can add something to this as well. So thank you again for having me.
0: So tonight we're gonna talk about um about Bond, James Bond. Um we're gonna talk about um the uh, Daniel Craig era. Uh if you've probably you've probably seen in the newspapers that um he says he's uh considering leaving the franchise and uh leaving it open to somebody else and what with uh his four films casino royale quantum of solace skyfall and spectre uh it seems you know a a a perfect place to to leave leave it and move on Uh, especially the end of spectre now just a warning for everybody we're going to get into spoilers Uh, so if you've not seen uh spectre yet uh, I would suggest stopping the podcast and go and see it and then come back.
1: Yeah, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you if you've not seen it yet? Where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> so, no, absolutely. Bond is a huge topic. Uh, you know, I often mention on these podcasts what a huge James Bond fan I am and have been ever since I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, this this is a big one and I'm glad we've sort of condensed it down to... Uh, Just Daniel Craig for this particular podcast.
0: (laughs) So um, what was the first Daniel Craig film that you guys saw?
2: Uh, I saw Casino Royale because, uh, as Keith said, I've always been a big Bond fan, as I guess quite a few people have been. I think I'm right in saying that I've seen every Bond film at the pictures when it came out from Spy Love Me onwards. Uh, I may possibly have missed a couple of the um, Pierce Brosnan ones, but I can't actually remember. But That's quite a few. That's got to be at least half of them, I think. So for me, it was a natural progression um, after the hiatus, after Pierce Brosnan left and the announcement of Craig. uh, I was absolutely up for seeing the next one. Um, So, yeah, for me, it was Casino Royale. And so, obviously, you might imagine, I saw all four or the three others after that. So I've seen it as it's unfolded, which has been nice. Yeah,
1: well, same here. I mean, I I think the first Bond movie... Uh, I actually saw on the big screen was probably uh, The Living Daylights. Uh, I was a big fan of, of Timothy Dalton as Bond uh, at the time. Um, but yes, I obviously had subsequently, uh, of course, watched all of the other films. Um, and I own them all. I used to own them on VHS, then on DVD and now on Blu-ray. So uh, so absolutely, as soon as um, Casino Royale was coming around, I was very excited about the whole prospect of this Bond reboot or soft reboot, at least I guess. Um, And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've enjoyed the Daniel Craig arc. Let's just put it that way. Um, And I'm sure we will drill into that more, but yes, it it did start with casino Royale and has gone, you know, obviously right the way through. Uh, And I've seen these films multiple times each. So big fan.
0: Yes, I was uh, a bit late to the game. Uh, The first film I saw at the cinema was GoldenEye. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, uh, but I had seen Bond films up to that point, either on video or TV, so I I didn't. I'd seen them all as well. As we're just sort of talking um, about the beginning, um, when Daniel Craig was announced to take over from Pierce Brosnan, what? were your guys' uh, opinion of that? Because it was quite controversial at the time. I mean, people were going on about the fact that it was going to be a blonde bond.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that didn't bother me (laughs) at all. And I have to say that was one of those silly little media stories that gets around. Um, I know it kind of escalated into a alleged fan campaign website and all the rest of it, Um, but that that never really bothered me. Um, I think it's interesting because the last couple of changes of, of... actor have been characterised with this hiatus situation. Um, it happened with Timothy Dalton. It happened with Brosnan um, as well. Um, we may or may not briefly allude to that as we go on in terms of some of the backroom controversy around some of the production of some of the films in terms of scripts and rights and all the rest of it. But there was a gap. And when it was announced, I again, it would be interesting to see your guys' take on it. I obviously knew him as an actor from the two or three things that he'd done before, mostly actually Our Friends in the North, which was the 95 TV series, which was the first thing I saw sporting his Geordie accent, which in the same way a lot of these actors do, when you first encounter them, you assume that is his accent. Um, So, and I can't remember whether I'd actually seen, I have a sneaky suspicion I hadn't seen Layer Cake, which I think he made before the Bond films, didn't he? Um, That's correct. yeah. Yeah, which is really, really good. I certainly saw it subsequently. And I think, had I seen it at the time, that would have just confirmed the fact that, and it may be the time for an initial controversial statement, um, I think even on the basis of our friends in the north, from my point of view, and it was something that was confirmed when I actually saw Casino Royale, um, he was the best actor to play Bond to date. Um, so I was very, very keen, very interested to see what it would turn out like. Um, and I didn't have any feelings of negativity at all.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, for me... Um... I had no problem at all with this announcement because uh I I thought uh Layer Cake, for example, was an absolutely fantastic film. Um and I did very briefly uh get to meet uh Daniel Craig at a BAFTA screening of, of Layer Cake. Um this was long before he was announced as Bond. And I had just seen, uh, enduring love, which is another film that he did, which I, I thought was quite interesting. And, uh, it was quite good. Cause you know, I, I, got to sort of go up, shake his hand and have a really brief chat with him. And he, he was quite pleased that I brought up enduring love. Cause obviously he'd been talking about layer cake on, on stage there for, for two hours before, before coming out. Um, and so of course, when, when I, when I heard that he was Bond, I, I, you know, I met him and and sort of stood face to face with him and I'm about the same height as him. And I'm, I'm, I'm also blonde. And, uh, obviously, Is there anything it
2: could have been you and it should have been you? you.
1: Well, well, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I just sort of thought to myself, uh, you you, you know, this, this kind of opens it up and it's something different. I mean, I, I actually, um, I have all of the bonds for me, Uh, And all of the actors who have played Bond are important for for different reasons, which we we probably haven't got time in this podcast to go into all of that. But one one of the things, uh, first of all, is is we mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, the film The Jacket, which Daniel Mm. Craig was in, in which he actually did have dark hair. So I thought to myself, maybe he would for bond, you know, but I'm but I'm glad he he kind of brought himself to it. The other thing about all this blondness that I think is a bit weird is let's face it, uh Roger Moore is not exactly dark haired. You know what I mean? So I never really quite that, that whole thing about oh, it's a blonde bond. I I I kind of didn't really get why that was a problem. Um, I have heard people say that he is perhaps not as good looking as, as some of the actors who have played Bond. Um, You you know, certainly I guess following someone like Pierce Brosnan uh, for example, but I I just thought that this whole idea of, of, of taking the Bond series, which after die another day, I did feel was becoming very tired, um, you know, taking it and, and rebooting it in this way. And if you like, because they got the rights back to casino Royale, you know going back to that and having an opening story uh I was all for it so I never really had any issues with the casting um you know I was quite happy with 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 Daniel Craig uh as Bond um sadly he is probably the last actor that's going to be older than me playing Bond which I find quite depressing but <laughs> uh, but uh, but other than that no I I I was actually uh, very happy with the casting and uh, didn't have any real issue with it. I, I thought, no, he's a good actor. You know, let him do his thing. Let him bring himself to it, which is, which is absolutely what he did.
2: In, interestingly, Keith, I actually take comfort in the fact that he's the same age as me. Um, he was, he was, his birthday is about two weeks before mine, I think. So um, I think that's quite good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, before we get into it, really, um, where do you uh, rank Daniel Craig amongst the other Bonds?
2: I think that's a difficult one, because as Keith was alluding to, I suspect this was what Keith was thinking of, Um, in the same way that it, well, I think it came to the chase. I think it's almost impossible to judge the Craig era bonds in comparison to the others, because it was such a radical shift, and we'll go on to talk about that very shortly, I'm sure. Um, You know, you couldn't get a more radical change between bonds and between eras and between periods partly because of the reboot, partly simply because of the styling which it was done, uh, and obviously because of Craig as well compared to the others. So I think think it's probably easier to compare actors than films, but I'm not even sure about that. So I don't know. I think it's a difficult one because, you know, I first came to it fresh with Roger Moore, of course. Um, Dalton I was never entirely convinced by, but that may have been more to do with the films and the material than himself. Uh, and there's a whole sub-story there, which we definitely can't get into, I don't think. Um, I was never hugely impressed with Brosnan. I quite enjoyed him, and certainly in the initial films, Goldeneye and so on. Um, but I don't know. There were elements of Die Another Day that showed what his bonds could have been like um, and that they could have gone in a certain direction. But obviously, that tended to be overwhelmed by the whole entire crap fest that was Die Another Day. Um, and so I think it's just, I think the trouble is they were all very much of their time. I mean, don't forget, we're talking about, what, a 50-year cycle now um, across half a dozen different actors. So I think they they blended and changed so much over the years that even with that, you've still got fairly hard shifts between them. So I am dodging the question, obviously, but <laughs> I, I don't really think you can even make that comparison in my mind because I think they're just so radically different, uh, and particularly that shift from from uh, Roslyn to, to Craig, So yeah, I'm, I am unusually, in my case, sitting on the fence.
1: Yeah, um, I, w- I would agree with, with, with your comments uh, there. I feel very much the same way. I mean, um, very briefly, I, I will just add, um, obviously I could talk about this for hours, but uh, for, for me, I, I kind of look at the bonds this way. I mean, Sean um, was the original. Uh, he brought so much to the screen adaption of that character. And he had some very strong films during his tenure. Um, George Lazenby, which a lot of people have problems with, uh, I kind of have a problem with him overall as Bond. But he he was in one of the most important films in the series and certainly one of the strongest films in the series. So he has some merit based on that. Uh, Roger Moore was the longest serving Bond and did the most official Bond films out of all of them so far. So, even though he was a bit long in the tooth towards the end, uh, Roger Moore was already James Bond, um, you know, when, when I was a kid and growing up. So, he was kind of the Bond I knew at that time, although obviously a very different style that he brought to it. Um, I mentioned already I was a big fan of Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton kind of played fleming's bond in 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 many respects um he handled the character uh much closer to the fleming novels and description wise he sort of physically embodied um what brief descriptions there were in, in fleming's novel of bond so he had a lot of good things going on i mean i think in terms of characterization there's nothing that daniel craig's really done with it that um uh, Timothy Dalton hadn't already done it. was just, it was 20 years earlier, and I don't think the world was ready for it. And also, he never had so much flexibility in the scripts um, as the arc that Daniel Craig has been fortunate to have. Um, with, with regards to no, Pierce think, Brosnan.
2: No, I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt, but very, very briefly, I think, and then we can maybe touch on this when we talk about the films, that I think that issue of Craig's involvement, which wasn't clear to me until I think post. Post Quantum of Solace, I think, Um, there were a couple of retrospective articles in magazines some time after that that explained some of the issues around the shooting of that. Um, Even before Craig, the films were not scripted in any, in the sense that we understand that in terms of other films, they weren't linear scripts that started with a plot premise and ended with one, they were very much written around scenarios and individual scenes often they started with the stunt team as well so it's worth yeah. bearing in mind when we get into discussions about how scripts originated but um but yeah sorry carry on
1: yeah no i mean i well i mean daniel craig uh he's he's the first of any of the actors to actually be a producer on the uh, on the bond films as well and he's, he's actually finally credited as that on spectre Um, So he's had a lot more creative control since this reboot of Bond. Um, But I just wanted to say just about Brosnan. I actually think Brosnan was an extremely good all-rounder as Bond. He could do the tough stuff. He could do the one-liners. He was a very handsome man. You know, he he kind of looked your your sort of stereotypical image of Bond. Um, I think the problem with Pierce's ones is I think some of the scripts that he had um, weren't necessarily as strong as some of his predecessors. Um, and you, you know, I think he got a bit of a, particularly with with, with his last film, a, a, a bit of a unfair um uh you, you know, score with that really. But um but I did like Pierce and and I was a big fan, you know, you, you know, right from Goldeneye, um, which you know was great to see Bond back after a six-year gap at that point. Um Again, due to various legal reasons and stuff, but uh, it was really good to see him back. So, so for me, they all have merit, uh, but I think that the, the 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 actor that's got to see Bond in his in in its best arc character arc has indeed been Daniel Craig over these four films.
0: Well, for me, it's always going to be Sean Connery. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but of course. <laughs>
0: but then f- closely followed by daniel craig yeah the the thing about the daniel craig bond films is that it they came out after a sort of change in in sort of filmmaking and that change was in a, a film franchise called Bourne, jason Bourne mm-hmm. films and uh very much it was a very gritty realistic look at that kind of world and so the idea of um you know having invisible cars and uh you know jet skiing on tidal waves and you know having the laser up in space destroying stuff sorry to pick on um die another day but uh oh <laughs> it is one of those films where it starts off really strong i mean it works really well when bond is sort of outside the system and they can't trust him but when it's but when he comes back into the fold and it's all about the gadgets and stuff again, that's where it sort of really loses the plot. You know, when they came to do casino Royale, that the, the game plan had changed. They couldn't do another Pierce Brosnan type film because you had Bourne out there and Bourne had changed the, you know, the film, you know, uh, filmscape. So, you know, that's I think that's one the one of the reasons why um his films work kind of better because there is a more realistic slant to them. It also kind of works because he actually looks like somebody who, you know, who could handle himself in a fight and has been in many fights because that was the that was the only thing about all the other bonds was the fact that they got into fights, they you know, shootouts, all this kind of stuff, and yet they were perfectly handsome and didn't look like they'd been punched once really.
1: Yeah. I mean, Sean, Sean could pull it off. I think, I think, I I think Sean Connery um, really pulled off the sort of tough guy thing and, 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 but, but, and, and uh, Timothy Dalton as well, to an extent, but, but I know what you mean, certainly Mm. Roger and and Pierce to an extent. Um, uh, Yeah, I, I, I agree with that point. And, and Daniel, when he when he did Casino Royale, definitely got himself into shape that he looked like a guy that could handle himself. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's get into uh into the films. Let's get into Casino Royale, and um, I mean, I know you guys are going to get into it massively, so I'll just say my bit and then I'll let you guys go. But um, I I would say that the thing I really enjoyed about Casino Royale is how you kind of see the character of James Bond being built up. And I remember the first time I watched it, um, I actually thought that maybe James Bond was a code name, that anybody could have been James Bond, that it was you know 007, James Bond was a code name that they would give to you know, so that way it would explain why, you know, here we are, you got uh, you got M played by Judy Dench, who's just you know been dealing with uh, Pierce Brosnan, and now she's got a younger bond and she's having to sort of you know it it felt like it was uh you know a code name that was passed from spy to spy but of course as we find out through the other films it's not the case that he is james bond but um what do you guys think of casino
2: royale well i saw it and was completely blown away by it no pun intended um i think It's difficult to actually sum it up because it is my favourite of all the films. I mean, without jumping ahead too much, um, I think Skyfall could potentially shade it in some respect, but I don't think any of them are as complete and as coherent and as powerful as Casino Royale.
0: Same here. And uh, I think, personally, the the film that comes next for me is Spectre. I like Casino Royale and Spectre, and then Skyfall, and then... Quantum of Solace. I think we can all agree that Quantum of, Quantum of Solace is the worst
2: one. Ah, oh, let's, not, let's not prejudge it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but I think with Casino Royale, I think, you know, I'll try and, conscious of time, I'll try and um, summarise it, but I think stylistically in terms of it as a film, leaving aside for a minute the fact that it was a Bond film, uh, it was exceptional. I think, very interestingly, Martin Campbell directed it, and he directed Brosnan in his first film, Goldeneye. And I remember very clearly watching Goldeneye. And whilst I liked bits of it, I was really unimpressed by the direction, which is really quite interesting. Um, and funnily enough, I subsequently saw a pilot. I think it was The Last Resort, um, American TV series a couple of years ago. And Campbell directed the pilot for that as well. And that also, I felt completely flawed. I mention that only because I think his working casino is superb. Um, you have that brilliant pre-credit sequence in monochrome. Um, mm. You have that amazing kind of what would have been a pre-credit sequence in the old days, uh, the free running chase, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and particularly when you find out that actually 99.9% of that was done for real, including the jumps on the cranes. Uh, it's just that they were wired up at the time. And some of them were done lower to the ground than actually it looks like. But that's a fantastic sequence. Um, so directorial and stylistically, I thought it was terrific. In terms of the script, uh, not having been familiar with the book, um, I I understand that it's broadly similar, but, you know, not exactly the same. Um, But in terms of the film script, it worked fantastically. And I remember thinking at the time, it's not a thriller, it's a love story. Um, I think that's pretty clear. It obviously has thriller elements in it, but primarily it's a love story. And I think, suitably warned with everyone about the spoilers, um, I think that awful twist, whatever it is, two thirds of the way through, um where his love actually kills herself rather than go through with what she has to go through with was incredibly shocking i remember watching that um again brilliantly shot technically with the collapsing Palazzo in venice um but when she actually takes that key out of the lock and keeps it i thought that was appalling i thought it was really unbelievable um and then i think finally what Really sold it was it was such an impossibly radical reworking of the bond film idea that I still to this day, ten years on, find it amazing that they actually did it, A conceived it, and B got away with it. And I mean that in the best possible sense, because, as we all know, it takes every element of a bond film takes them all apart, reassembles them, quite literally, in a completely different order. So you don't get the Monty Norman theme until the very end. He doesn't even say Bond, James Bond, until the very end. Um, You know, every element of the Bond movies are there. They're just twisted around in a completely different way. And I still think that that transition between the end of the pre-credit sequence, where he makes his second kill, the cut through to the Chris Cornell theme tune, which is still one of the best Bond film themes ever, um, and then how it segues into the film proper, I just think is genius. So, if you add in also um, Ava Green's performance, which is absolutely fantastic, that first meeting they have on the train is exquisite. It's an outstanding bit of scripting, and it's a brilliant bit of acting. Apart from the product placement, that that
0: always that, the first time I saw that, that knocked me out at the film a bit.
2: Yeah, and I would I would not disagree there at all.
0: The one thing that slightly annoyed me was the blatant product placement and sort of cameos by sort of celebrities because there's the the whole bit with um, the,
2: bloke, the bloke that runs Virgin Airlines, yeah, Richard uh, yes. Branson, yeah, Richard, Richard
0: Branson. Branson being patted down at the airport, and it's like a couple of models when he was. Um, Checking into the hotel. Yeah, no,
2: i agree with that. But I think I, I think they're eminently forgivable when you when you look at the film as a whole. Um, mm, yeah. So as I say, it, that would easily be my favourite. Uh, and but you know, even sticking to it as talking about the first film out of four, yeah, I think it's absolutely outstanding. Loved it. I've always loved it. Um, it's actually one of those films where I have to. I'd only rewatch it if I'm in the right mood because unlike all the other films, which are broadly more or less a pre crate film broadly more or less candy floss films you can enjoy them but that's it you know you kind of forget them when you're taking out of the machine without which to sound too pretentious there is a real emotional journey in casino royale and i don't really want to go through that unless i'm really in the mood for it um and i you know i still think it works really well on that on that basis so that's me
1: yeah uh well i have to say um i mean for me this is one of the best films of the entire series and certainly uh daniel craig's uh best one um i absolutely loved it when i went to see it um you you, you know i find i find much like you simon with the the whole fan theories thing uh about you know james bond being the, the the sort of code name that goes with 007 um you, you, you know, that fan, fan theory has been out there with, with a couple of others for some time, um, sadly, because of all the supporting characters and because of the continuity in some of the earlier films and, and, and the references throughout uh, that theory, sadly, doesn't really work. Um, when I went into this one, uh, obviously, we, we'd had a reboot the year, uh, previous with, with Batman, you know, Batman begins. And this was obviously going to be kind of bond begins. Um, uh, and I did sort of think, well, it's kind of a soft reboot in so much as you've still got Judy Dench playing M she's wonderful as M, but obviously she had been, um, you, you, you know, Pierce Brosnan's M also. So I thought mm, maybe that theory will work. Uh, obviously it didn't when we sort of meet Felix lighter, Uh, you, you know, the, the, the many faces of Felix lighter, he's kind of like John Connor in the Terminator series. (laughs) It's never the same actor twice or it it wasn't up to that point anyway. Um, and, uh, you, know, I I just think that, uh, it was sort of a soft reboot in the fact that they, they didn't go majorly, uh, much younger with bond, um, as, as they, we're going to in development. I mean, there was talk very early on about putting someone in there in their mid twenties to be bond. Uh, but they actually went, you know, Daniel Craig was 38 when he filmed this. And, um, you know, that, that, that kind of, that kind of was in line with the book, um, and worked really well. Uh, I think, um, definitely the, I, I really like the, the move towards a more serious and more realistic, um, story and and bond film i agree entirely with what chris has said about the fact that this one whereas most of the bond films uh let's be honest somewhat formulaic and and work very much on spectacle um this one has those elements but at the same time um is is a very very good story and what they've kind of done is they have taken the the, 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 the story from, from the novel, but of course they've, they've expanded it out with these wonderful action sequences, like the, like the aforementioned free running sequence, um, and things, things like that, which were done amazingly, uh, in this film. Um, I think Martin Campbell is one of the strengths for this as well. I think they chose the right director. Um, you know golden had its its production problems with some of the um uh deals being done very last minute like with bmw and them trying to sort of shoehorn that in at the last at the last second so uh i whereas i agree that um the the, the direction of of uh Golden Eye probably wasn't quite as good. I, I, I think Martin Campbell did d- do an absolutely fabulous job with this, but he had obviously a good team around him, a good actor, and some good material to work with. And we have to remember that the Bond films, very much like uh, the television world, almost are very much an um, a producer led series of films. Uh, you know, obviously the Broccolis, uh, you know, succeeded by. Barbara and and Michael G. Wilson, um, you know, have a lot of control over over the direction of this and um, and where it goes. Uh, But, yeah, for for me, I think it was fantastic. Uh, The storyline works. Everything. Everything's in its place. Um, I take your point about the blatant product placement. I mean, I have to say uh since 95 since um Pierce Brosnan took over the role I have been a proud owner of uh, Omega Seamaster myself not not <laughs> partly because it's James Bond's watch but partly because I also think that they manufacture absolutely beautiful designed quality timepieces but uh, but that's a whole other story That's a
2: product placement come on There you yeah. go so, Hold so Is that a
1: Rolex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but uh no it, it's no uh, Omega Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, (laughs) you know, that, that, that was a bit, I must admit that was a bit heavy handed, but it's really hard for me to, um, to pick any, any holes in it that the whole point Chris made about. Uh, you, you know David Arnold's wonderful score that doesn't kick into the uh, the full bond theme right until the end uh, along with his Bond James Bond line. it that all works beautifully because he's earned it by that point. Uh, you know you've been with the character, you've seen him evolve, you've seen him do things that you're not used to seeing him do and uh, you've seen him make mistakes and I, I just thought that that whole thing, Worked fabulously, and and the score throughout this entire film is great because it hints towards the Bond theme without actually blatantly going there until the end. So, uh, yeah, I, I really could talk about this more and more, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, an absolutely fantastic film and definitely one of the strongest in the entire series.
2: I mean, a couple of other points to mention, if I may, that um, you, we both we've all talked about this this shift. I'm not going to I'm not going to say paradigm shift, but it is. And um, between the uh, Brosnan era and between Craig, as seen through Casino Um I think Simon quite rightly mentioned about the Bourne films and you know the change to the filmmaking landscape that happened. But you know there was also the post-9/11 change, which, which was hinted at strangely in one of the few subtle moments of Die Another Day. Um, if you watch the first half hour or so of Die Another Day, there are some very specific albeit implicit, if that's not a contradiction in terms, um, changes to the fact that, and if you look at the time it was released, it's built into the story that, it, that his period of imprisonment in North Korea happens through 9-11. So, you know, we're still living with that now 15 years on in terms of fictional filmmaking, um, all those things that came out of the TV co- coverage of 9-11, and also things like Iraq and Afghanistan. You have to accept that as well. Um, that drove filmmaking as well. So it wasn't just, you know, independent artistic decisions. And I think also what's clever is the fact that Casino Royale and the producers, they achieved all of that, again, as, as you were saying, Keith, whilst maintaining the continuity, part of the continuity set with the previous Bond films. So as you say, we'd already had the shift to Judy Bench, um, and yet they maintained that. And, and that, again, when you step back and think about it, that is actually really, really clever to do that. And like I say, to get away with it, because you know they've scrapped Louis Maxwell, they've scrapped Robert Brown, and they've scrapped Desmond Llewelyn before. But this time, you've scrapped Samantha Bond and Colin Salmon and John Cleese and all the rest of it. Um, and yet you've kept Judy Dench, and yet it works. So you know it's just another another good thing to to mention. And I think just just finally a couple of points on on the direction and the scripting and the acting. Um, we should mention Mads Mikkelsen, I think, as the as the villain of the piece. You know, yes, you've got his little um, derangement of the tear duct, but that's all there is in terms of a nod to the Bond villains of of old, the the scarred Bond villains of old. Um, The card game that it all works around, even if you don't understand the game, and it's not the same game that was in the book, but it's a game nevertheless, um, works incredibly well. It's very tense. It works well within the the context of the story, interrupted, of course, by a couple of action scenes, including that awfully brutal knife fight on the stairs. followed by Eva Green's best scene in the shower, which is absolutely great. Um, and even things like the car chase with the the role which got in the Guinness Book of Records, because most times a car had ever been rolled. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't quite go, so far. I don't think any film could be described as flawless, but it comes pretty close.
0: Just picking up on what you said about 9-11, I mean, the thing about all four films is they deal with, um, instead of there being like a, a main villain, we're, they're dealing with shadowy conspiracies so it's the idea is there isn't like a main bad guy there's somebody behind the main bad guy who's out there sort of being like um you know sort of making things happen making events happen and as it goes along especially culminating with spectre we learned that uh blofeld is, you know, has been behind a lot of this, these schemes that have been going on. He's been behind Le Chiffre, He's been behind Quantum. Uh, he was behind... Um, sorry, who was the guy in Skyfall? Who was the villain in Skyfall?
1: Oh, what, the uh, Javier Bardem character, yeah. Yeah,
0: um, what was his name? His can't remember his name. Carry on, on, though.
1: I you know this, but carry on. <laughs>
2: I'll let you know
0: okay <laughs> well anyway there's there's always been somebody behind the main villain there's been somebody behind the throne is silver to, to
1: yeah raul oh, okay. raul silver
0: yes okay okay I am DB to the rescue <laughs> possibly you know so it, it ties into that post 9 11 world where you know this event happens and these people did this horrible event but yet there was an, there was this you know terrorist organization behind it, but we didn't know who they were at the time. You know, they, we have like a name like Bin Laden, but in the day when you know Bin Laden was taken out, the, the terrorist organization still went on.
2: Yeah, I think and, that's a good point. I think I think it. I, I would query slightly in the sense that yes, you're right. Spectre attempted. I use the word very very um, deliberately attempted to tie up the three previous ones and justify, and again, I use the word deliberately, um, <laughs> that kind of you know, retro continuity, if you like. I don't think it worked, but we can come on to that in about an hour's time, no doubt. Um, but I think you're right, Simon, in as much as, and I hadn't really thought a bit about it before, but now you say it, yes, there are kind of villain front men in it. Um, interesting, they're all front men, though. I can't think of that many Bond films that have had a villain a female villain, but anyway, maybe that's one for Gillian Anderson to pick up. Um well I mean the world was not enough. Yeah, but yeah, fair point. Yeah. Um but I mean, you know, I think it's a fair point because, you know, you're right, each of those films has an element of that in it. Um I think this is where there is a flaw with the whole concept, which is that, you know, the original well, Mendes did in the end direct two continuously contiguous ones. Um, but because the films are not planned in that sense, you always have a risk there. And that's one of the reasons why the continuity, beyond you know, the, the overall framework, um, the continuity just isn't there. And why there are only out of 20 or 30 films, there are only two or three that actually follow on contigu- you know, continuously, um, because they're just not made like that. They're not made with a, with a franchise in the same way that the MCU stuff is done. Um, and that may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing. But I think that's perhaps one of the reasons why, for me, that attempt to tie things up in spectre didn't really work at all
1: yeah i mean they they tried you know back in connery's era um there was a certain level of of continuity and of course back then you you know you had spectre uh being this organization uh behind all of these these uh massive you know uh world domineering um events but uh um obviously there was no continuity in the fact that actors changed all of the time. Uh, you know, even the actor playing Bond uh you, you know, throughout that period, uh, as well as all the Blofelds that they had back then. So it, yeah, yeah, it, it never had the same, same sort of cohesiveness that that these films have got. Um, I think with the whole back to the whole Judy Dench thing, um, I think, yeah, on one hand, it it was smart thinking but on the other hand i do feel that eon were kind of playing it slightly safe as well at that point because you know they they knew that she was a hit with the audience and everybody you know sort of loved her so she was the one that sort of kept it somewhat grounded where it had been whilst trying to do this reboot. And I know, I know there were all sorts of things. I mean, not just about a young, a much younger bond, but you, you know, the, the, there's always that thing, you know, about Tarantino's take on it about how he wanted to go right back and set it in the fifties and, 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 you know, you know, really, really mess with it. But, uh, as, as you've rightly pointed out, these guys decided to kind of go with the, um, Jason Bourne model. And, uh, and move it this way and um you you know a, a, a a good move i think it was but of course we will sort of delve more into that as we move through the films
0: well yeah but i mean the the thing that i've really liked about daniel craig's bond and his journey through these films is that he's gone from somebody who you know kills quite you know aggressively to somebody who then thinks about whether it's if it's worth killing or not i mean especially through casino royale and quantum of solace you know judy dench will go oh you killed him we could have used him we could have found out more and it's like well he didn't give me a choice mm-hmm. and yet by the time we reach the end of spectre where he's got a chance to you know kill Blofeld, he decides to take his finger off the trigger so i, I think that is one of the one of the things the through threads that I, I've quite liked through these four films because, you know, at the end of the, um, of the chase sequence at the beginning of Casino Royale, where he is, you know, chasing after the, the bomber. And he just, you know, he, he blatantly just shoots him and, you know, hits blows up those gas canisters so he can make an escape. I mean, he just killed the guy when really they could have interrogated him and found out a lot more about what was going on.
1: Yeah, no, I agree.
0: The one last thing I want to say about Casino Royale before we move on to the next one, onto Quantum of Solace, was that um when I saw it at the cinema, um I was quite enjoying it up to the point um where we get the torture sequence. And the reason why I felt a bit uneasy while watching it was because in the cinema screen I was in, it was full of kids. Right, and I was like, "Whoa, this is really inappropriate for these, you know, these kids." I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the most painful tortures I've seen on screen, where you know he's whipping him with the the rope, and uh, I thought, "Wow, this, how could they get away with this being a 12A?"
1: Yeah, I know uh, it's certainly not a kids' film, that's for sure, and uh, I can see how that would would be sort of inappropriate for um for for you know, people that uh, or kids that don't have proper parental guidance and whatever. But yes, I mean, that is a that is I, th- I think every man in the audience is eyes watered during that scene, uh, which, of course, is <laughs> taken straight from the book. And uh, oh, okay. and, and very well performed, I, I, I thought, by the uh, by, by both actors, um, yeah, the, you the, know, in the
2: that. scene is from the scene is from the book. I think the implement is different. But yes, the concept is certainly there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but uh, but no, I mean, I, I would say, uh, you, you know, the, the, the bond, feel, uh, the, the, the Craig era uh, has also been a much more um, adult type of bond. In fact, I actually feel quite blessed because I almost feel like the... Uh, that the, the Bond movies have kind of grown up with me in some respects, <laughs> meaning, you know, I grew up with Roger Moore films, which let's be honest, they, they're quite laughable by today's standards and incredibly tongue in cheek and, uh, you know, far fetched and whatever. Um, whereas, uh, this with, with Daniel Craig is, you know, it, it has changed things quite a bit because, you know, Casino Royale being the the biggest change uh, of, of, of the whole series. Um, taken it into a sort of more adult themed and serious and violent um violent type of type of movie
2: uh, no i'd agree with that entirely i think your your point about the um the torture scene and the certification is an interesting one and if we had to get into that whole um story about why that was allowed that'll keep us another couple of hours but i yeah i, I think it's part of the whole conceptual shift and the the way that the you know, the artistic and aesthetic shift that we talked about from the beginning. Um, And it's right, I think. And I think, you know, we've all alluded to the, the books were tougher, certainly tougher. I mean, I've read a couple of the early ones since Um, they were far tougher and they were hinted at with the early Connery films, but even they pulled their punches really because very quickly because of the period in which they were made. I think interestingly, well, if they'd have been made maybe if they had been unsuccessful and kind of continued on in a sort of low budget way and maybe had been started in the 70s they might have it might have looked a bit different but i think because they were started in the 60s and were very successful which means populist which means mainstream um that kind of ruled out any kind of closeness to the original books eventually and of course we you know in terms of storyline they diverged more and more to, they went on um but yeah it was inevitable that it would change um you know, I think the whole certification thing is a perfectly valid argument. And I never agreed with the 12 certificate or the 12A either for that matter. Um, I think we all know why and our audience will know why it, it happens. Um, so ka <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's a shame because it, it, it undermines the whole purpose of classification. Um, and I think, you know life is like that now and that's just the way things are in terms of what is being depicted but i think it's it's a real conversation around whether that sort of stuff should trickle down through the the categories as it inevitably does you know and, and it's not too it's definitely not too um ott to say that if you take most of the films that we would probably have liked or did like 20 years ago and resubmitted them for classification they would all probably come out as 12 now even Terminator was, which, um, which really isn't that violent when you look at it, and it's kind of sad in a way for me to say that, but it just isn't.
0: Well, I know, I've, well, I think Terminator did get re- uh, uh, it's got a certificate of a uh, fifteen now. I mean, I mean, the in the first scene, he does rip a guy's heart out of his chest. He does, he does. Uh, that would definitely, I'd, I'd, if God, if that was in the twelve, I was like, you know, blimey, things have gone for the worse. Yeah,
1: I mean, it has all changed, you know, with the violence and and everything. I mean, even profanity now. I always say that, um, you you, you know, saying the F word is like saying shit nowadays. And the C word has become the new F word in movies. It's kind of it's kind of all shifted. And, uh, you know, that says something about society, I guess. But um, that is a whole nother podcast. So I'll I'll get off of that and back back to uh, Bond. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, let, let, let's let's move on to quantum of solace and let's hopefully give it about the time that the word quantum implies <laughs> oh
0: okay
2: well uh from my
0: understanding that uh quantum of solace is the first film that uh is not based on a Ian fleming uh novel but it's is it based is it is it based off a line of it, uh, what is it
1: based off? There's a title. Okay. I think
2: it's the title only, which is what happened to a lot of the latter era Roger Moore films.
1: Yeah, it was. It was basically there were some short stories within for your eyes only, and it was one of the few um, uh, titles that that hadn't been used. Um, I mean, ov- obviously they, they'd kind of used most of them up by the time they got to uh, the Living Daylights, and as Chris has rightly said, you, you know, for, for for most of the um from- from the Roger Moore era, basically, all they'd really done is taken the title a very loose premise and in some cases the odd character name here and there and that's been the only resemblance so um so 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 they had actually been sort of moved away from from uh bond novels and bond titles since uh, license to kill so for oh, some okay. time but this indeed there were some short stories um which Octopussy and, and For Your Eyes Only and The Living Daylights uh, were part of. And I believe Quantum of Solace was 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 there, but they took no plot points whatsoever. It's just purely the title, which obviously a lot of people had problems with. <laughs>
0: mm. Well, this is the first Bond film to continue immediately from the end of the last one. To an yeah, extent. And,
2: and it, yeah. And it does so. And it does so very cleverly, actually. It's, it's I'm, I'm almost annoyed to have to give it anything. But um, yeah, you're right. Well, I think what's wait,
1: No, well, you know, uh, I, I'll tell you what, if, we, if we're going to go there, I have to get my rant out the way, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, I am an, a mad stickler for continuity. OK, and basically what happened here and it really bugged me and it pulled me right out of the movie is, yes, we get that wonderful end sequence with Mr. White Um. You, you, you know, at the end of Casino Royale, where, you know, he comes up and he, he says the famous line about being Bond, James Bond and all of this sort of thing. Uh, at the time, they were still using uh, Baroni as the uh, tailor for, for, for Bond um, in uh, Casino Royale, which they'd used through the whole of the Pierce Brosnan era. Um, so when Bond walks up, he is actually wearing like a three piece navy blue suit with a light blue shirt and tie. OK, uh, in between the films, they changed costume designers. And because Daniel Craig got some power uh, at this point, he wanted to go with Tom Ford, who is his favorite um, uh, suit designer and tailor. So they went with Tom Ford suits. But what really wound me up is this is supposed to take place like half an hour, 45 minutes or whatever after that end sequence. And suddenly he has gone from a navy blue three-piece suit to a charcoal grey two-piece suit and from a uh, light blue shirt to a white shirt. So he's wearing a completely different suit. And I'm like, that's terrible continuity if you watch it back to back. And that always bothered me. And I understand why it happened, but I just thought obviously a lot of people don't notice this, but it just, it, it, it annoyed me. And I thought, why didn't they go with something closer?
0: And after that, Keith was just couldn't get into the rest of the film. <laughs>
2: he's, now, he's now spoiled the only good bit of the film for me. Um, <laughs> all I was going to say was that, um, that it is quite clever that it does follow on um, from the last film. Exactly. And, you know, as you were saying, Um but the clever bit is that in the script for Casino Royale, most people tend to forget that there was a gap of several weeks, if not months, um, between the end of the main action and those last bits on the island of Mr. White. And that was quite clever. So the time shift was taken care of in the first film, um, allowing them to go straight on from the capture of Mr. White uh, into this film. And and I am slightly conflicted, although only slightly, by that Pre-credit sequence in Quantum because in some respects it is a good sequence. I've it, it's very strange. Although much as I detest the film, I've watched that sequence quite often, mainly because it is the best bit in the film, and also because I like the opening credit titles as well. Um so I tend to watch that, you know, when it cycles down on TV. But at the same time, and this is the important bit, I think, I remember watching it very clearly um, you know, in the pictures when it came out, and a lot of elements of that car chase, when you see it for the first time, particularly on a big screen, you are very much into what the hell was that? What happened there? Sorry, where's that car going? Which car indeed is that? And all of that. And that was very notable because Mm -hmm. most of the flaws around, there are two two big things that wrong with Quantum of Solace, which is the entire script and the entire direction. So whilst a lot of that is down to the script, an awful lot of it is down to the direct sequence. And of course, there was a lot of criticism at the time around Mark Forster, who had never directed an action film before. Um, That in and of itself shouldn't necessarily be a problem. It's just that in this instance, it really, really was. When you decide that in your first very, very tightly edited, very tightly framed car chase, you are going to have both of the cars chase. I think it's two. In fact, I'm still not entirely sure how many cars were chasing him right at the beginning. It might be three. Um, But when the Pursuit cars are virtually the same car as your hero's car, that's a bad thing to do to start with because you're already on a bit of a loser. Um, that whole sequence that follows then in Siena, that was mind-numbingly hard to follow. Um, mm-hmm. Even now, when you watch it again in slow motion, the shootout in the MI6 interrogation room, it's actually impossible to work out who killed who and why. Um, it really is a, a real mess of a film in terms of direction. And I think the script as well... It's just a mess. It's just it's like the old days because it's just a random it comes over as a random collection of scenes, none of mm-hmm. which make a lot of sense. Yes, we've gone back to the old kind of villain dominating the world. Yes, you're right. As Simon said, there's a bit of a um, bit of a background conspiracy theory. But by the time you've added up all the different people that are after oil or water or gold or power or for um, You don't really care in the end. And I remember when I saw it, I turned to the person I was watching it with and we both looked at each other as if we didn't even say anything. We just sort of thought, what was that all about? And finally, and I will shut up because I've got literally nothing to add. um, It's a very little known fact, fact fans, that Quantum of Solace is by a long way the shortest of all the Bond films. It's about Mm. 90 minutes and yet it feels like the longest. Mm. That's all I'm going to say yeah i i wanted to
0: say that the um going from casino royale where the action was so nicely framed and it was so steady you could see what was happening and where and then to go into these really shaky cam close-ups you know things coming from all different directions it was it was really hard to follow what was going on and i'm glad that when they went to do skyfall that they went back to the casino royale way of shooting action because then you could actually see what was going on um i, f- th- th- I think the problem with quantum Solace is that they're trying to sort of uh, deal with his um psychological state to some extent the whole idea that you know he's still grieving for vespa and he's out for some kind of revenge i mean i i do kind of like the scene at the end where he confronts the boyfriend of vespa mm-hmm. you know uh, I thought that was kind of that kind of worked, and it, and its sort of snowy location was reminiscent of the beginning of Casino Royale, even though it wasn't in black and white. That's a good point. Um, but it was, yeah, it was. You just it, it, the story just wasn't strong enough, and you know that was partly due to the fact that there was the writers' strike, so they literally had to write something very quickly and put it into production before the writer's strike started so they didn't have the amount of prep work and amount of script time as they did on casino royale or the other films so that was one of the things that was you know affected this film i think if if they had been given a bit more time with the script it it, it could have worked quite nicely it would have been quite interesting to see bond go from one film into the other and dealing with the events from that last film
1: yeah, I mean, no surprise. I, I've got quite a few things to say about Quantum of <laughs> Solace. Um, not all of it bad. I mean, um, sort of good and bad. Uh, first of all, just to pick up on, you're, you're absolutely right, Simon. It, it was indeed uh, they they'd, they'd started writing Quantum of Solace whilst they were still making Casino Royale to be this sort of seamless continuation and and follow with the you know, you know Bonds. Um, Psychological state, etc., uh, following the events that happen in in Casino Royale. Um, but yes, it, it it was this this came out only two years later, so it was kind of rushed into production. It did uh, absolutely clash with the writers' strike uh, to the point that um, the, the the script was still being written or finished when they went into production, which is never a good thing to do. And this is where Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig and Mark Foster, even though they're not credited, actually ended up finishing the script for this. They'd already had an outline from Haggis and Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. And obviously, poor Haggis had had contributed big time to Casino Royale and expanded out Fleming's novel there. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think I think it absolutely suffers from 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 the uh, script not being as strong, even though it's nice that they were trying to pick up threads and this was very much a, an add on. It was almost like a sort of the next act literally to the casino Royale story, which was of course a long film in itself. Um, I also agree entirely that that Mark Foster's direction of this sadly, even though, you know, he would had some hits and done some interesting films previous, his direction of this that the big problem I've always seen with this and I've always said to everyone is what they've tried to do is with this style of action and photography, they were trying to sort of copy what Greengrass had done with the second two born films. The, but they made one big mistake with it in my, um, in my opinion is that whereas Greengrass was all about the camera constantly moving, very sort of shaky cam and erratic with the action Greengrass doesn't cut much. Basically, those action sequences are quite long and you end up following Jason Bourne in that action and, and you know the scenes tend to go on for quite a time. What's the problem with uh, Quantum of Solace's uh, look and, and, and direction was um, you also mixed kind of MTV style editing with this erratic shaky cam. And what you do end up with, are action sequences where the stunt guys, bless them, have done an absolutely fantastic job, in the second unit directors, etc., um, absolutely wonderful stuff. But when it's actually edited and put together, you don't see a lot of that great stuff because it is so difficult to follow. And that was a big that, along with the continuity thing, was one of my big problems um, with with, with uh, Quantum of Solace uh, in terms of how it looked there. Um, Having said that, I, I agree with Simon. I do kind of like the way they, they wrap um, some of Bond's uh, arc and some of his journey with regards to the Vesper storyline um, up towards the end of the film. I will also say that, in my opinion, um, Daniel Craig looks best in this film of the entire series as Bond. Um, he really seems to have fitted and, and, and got comfortable in the role. In Casino Royale, although he was in very good shape, he was quite bulky. Uh, on this film, he'd actually sort of leaned, leaned down somewhat. And uh, at this point, the Tom Ford suits that he was wearing uh, were nicely fitted but hadn't yet gone to the ridiculous skinny type short suits that he was wearing in skyfall inspector, which I, I really didn't like. And he hadn't gone for this ridiculous buzz cut hairstyle. So I actually think in terms of how bond looks, um, or how Daniel Craig's bond looks, he, he, he is in the best shape and looks the, 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 the smoothest in this one, um, in in my opinion uh and there are some really good you know there are some really good action sequences in in this sadly you can't (laughs) see them very well and 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 i do totally take that point um the the oh and the other thing we'll probably come on to when we when we talk about skyfall i will sort of harken back to some points about this but uh but the other thing I do quite like is even though he has his fling with Strawberry Fields played by Gem, the lovely Gemma Arterton. Um,
2: oh, Jesus. Don't you get with, me started with, on that?
1: Well, yeah, we, we can get into that. But with, with the whole oh. Bond getting the girl, I kind of like the fact that he doesn't get the main actress, um, you know, Camille played by uh, Olga um, in this film. I kind of like the fact that she you know she she jumps out of the car at the end and and you know there wasn't anything between them i i thought was kind of a refreshing change um so i, I think it's not completely without its merits but it is certainly um the weakest entry in in the daniel craig bond canon
0: well i mean the olga uh, kurilenko character she was uh, his equal she was somebody who was equally as damaged and so I think the idea of the two of them jumping into bed, you know, wouldn't have worked. Hmm.
2: I, it's interesting because I I never picked up. It's, it is interesting because I never picked up on that element, or indeed the fact that Bond, who clearly was damaged at the end of the Casino, um, you know. And I don't know if this was, and again, one of those kind of retrospective justifications that I was reading when Quantum came out. But I never really picked up any, on any of that because, in the same way that you know, continuity of suits was a, was a a problem for key. Um, for me, the lack of continuity and coherence in the whole damn thing was such a barrier to entry that I couldn't actually give a damn about the whole thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, um, it's funny, it's a rare thing nowadays. I don't tend to write about things on my website that I don't like. And I know that's a bit self-limiting and one should of course, but I just don't. And Hey, it's my website, so it doesn't matter. But, I was so incensed by Quantum Solace that although I gave it a couple of weeks, I think, for it to settle in, um, I actually bashed out a huge long piece, not for my website, but for IMDB. And I posted it and I was just so irritated. And to be fair, it wasn't everyone was saying, this is a brilliant film, you know, you should be seeing it. So, it, you know, the general critical opinion was that it wasn't very good at all. So it's not like I was a lone voice in the wilderness and felt the need to, to shout about it. But it was just so bad. And I think the point was, it was so bad after Quantum was, but uh, Casino was so damn good that the two things just didn't compute. And so anyway, I wrote this big long screed, um, and I think I titled it something like um, uh, "an incoherent chaotic mess" or something like that. Anyway, it attracted a lot of traffic, and for about a week, it was the highest commented thread on Quantum of Solace on IMDb. And not everyone, pretty much everyone agreed with me on it. Um, which, you know, doesn't mean anything in the sense that it's not like I was making a point that nobody else had made. But it was quite refreshing actually, because a lot of people were saying, yeah, you're right, and you know, this bit was bad for the similar reason and all the rest of it. It was it was, as it were, cathartic. <laughs> I just think it's a real shame that even if you can pull out some of those elements, you know, whether it's the car chase or any other bits that we might think of. Um and, you know, the points you make about character, which, you know, in retrospect, yeah, I can see that. I think the whole thing, there was there was a lovely quote I picked up. Um, the guy that was the director of the opera, you know, the famous opera in um, Brienne's with the floating opera uh, house and all of that, which is a, a huge setting for the kind of climactic part of the film. And um, it was a brilliant quote, and I'm still not sure whether the guy would take in a Mickey or not, but he said, um, oh, we were very grateful for Eon for coming, you know, and giving us all this publicity about the film and for filming at Rien's and all the rest of it. And then right at the end, he says, of course, the film was rubbish, but... And I thought... <laughs> 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 he didn't actually say the word rubbish, but it was worse to that effect. And I was just stunned by that. And I think I even posted it on an online DVD somewhere. But that was just really, really funny. Um, and I just think, you know, it had... For me, it had the worst aspects of all the previous Bond films where they were, as I said stitched together you know, as a, se- as a series of loosely linked set pieces with greater or lesser effect depending on which film it was. Um, it had all of the worst of that and all of the kind of flip side of modern gritty filmmaking, which, you know, as Simon's saying, I think you make a really good point, which again, I hadn't really thought of, about the problem was the combination of the fluid direction and the really sharp, tight cutting as well. And the two things, you need to have one of them needs to stay quite static for you to get it. Um, And, you know, you can write that off to an experience or what, but ultimately it was the producers that hired Forster. So you have to wonder what they were aiming at. Yeah, I think
1: Daniel Craig had a hand in it, actually. I think um, Daniel Craig uh, liked some of Mark Forster's work and um, kind of recommended him and got him on board. Because, of course, he has done some some fabulous films. I mean, you know, he did Monster's Ball and um, Finding Neverland and, and, you know, films of that. Uh, ilk which are which are decent films but uh yeah but um, quantum, they're not
0: films that say bond though do not they? not
1: at all no. no absolutely they say character which um i kind of understand where they were going with that but uh you know quantum quantum solace it, it had a really hard act to follow with casino royale but i think between the um the 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 the, the, the sort of rushed script and the rushed production Uh, to get this out and to sort of they they were coming off this massive high because you know it was a bit of a gamble when Casino Royale came out as to whether people were going to accept Daniel Craig and whether this reboot was going to work and it did and you know they jumped straight in with this Um, but you you know unfortunately uh, you know it has its shortfalls and um, yeah you know enough said I guess let's move move on (laughs) yeah Yeah.
0: so when it was announced that sam mendes was going to take over the directing reins what were you what were your guys opinion of that
2: i didn't really have a view because i'd obviously heard of him and i knew he was a hugely respected director you know principal of theater um but again i kind of if you think back to the old days and it will depend on your in the nicest possible sense guys it will depend on your age but if you think back to the kind of the pre-Cray, because it's the BC era before Cray, um, <laughs> the production of the Bond films and the way it was announced and the marketing of it was part of the fun. They were released you know, mechanically every two years, about a year before you would get the announcement of the title, you would then get the casting call about six months later, you'd then get the thing about which pop group of the day was going to do the theme tune and all the rest of it. And it was great. And when you're a teenager, you love all that and it was brilliant obviously things are far more sophisticated now and coming off the back of two films, one of which was very successful and was, you know, universally praised and one of which wasn't, um, that had changed. So I don't have a particular memory of any, of any of the specifics around that other than that there was a lot of discussion about, you know, would the guy make it because it just wasn't something that he was particularly known with. Yes. He'd done American Beauty, Um, he'd done road to tradition as well. Um, and a couple of others, so he had a solid background and, and probably something solider, if that's the word, um, than Forster. But and, and as I recall, there was a fair amount of kind of willy wonky as well. So it wasn't by any means settled. So again, I I didn't have a particular view. I just I was just so desperately hoping that they wouldn't screw it up again. I think that was my main my main concern. So. I was less worried about who would be behind the lens, and um, more a question of what he would do with the lens when he got it and when he pressed the on button.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, on that question of Sam Mendes, uh, you know, I, he's certainly he's certainly a good director. That's that's got some, some you know, prior to this, some some really good work out there. Um, you know, I have my problems with Skyfall, which we'll we'll get into, Um, but I think. You know, I think Sam Mendes is a really good director of um, drama, Um, you know, coming from the sort of theatre background and obviously some of those four mentioned films. Um, But I'm not 100 percent sure that he's a great action director, to be honest. Um, I've got I'm sure we'll get into this. I've I've got my my issues with some of the um, direction and and pacing of of Skyfall, Um, although. I will sort of caveat that by saying it's kind of refreshing that we could at least get back to seeing the action and following what was going on. But I think it lacked some tension in places. And if you want me to be specific about that, um, the scene where, you you know, that they've kind of set bond up is, is, you know, he's, he's, he's been out of the game for a while and, uh, You know, that they go on about. It's quite funny. They've sort of jumped from him being this young, new, fresh Bond to saying that suddenly he's old. And, uh, you know, he's going for all this physical stuff. And when he he jumps on the lift uh, and he's hanging on the bottom of the lift, that to me would have been a sequence which could have been so tense it would have been unbelievable. But instead, I felt no tension at all. He just kind of... Hung on that as if he was a superhero and uh, didn't sort of feel any jeopardy for him whatsoever. So, so that 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 was my thing. I felt it it lacked some tension, um, which which you know I don't know whether I should be blaming Sam Mendes completely for that. Uh, but Skyfall has lots of other problems, in my opinion, which we'll dig into, I'm sure. But Sam Mendes is certainly a competent director, and it was refreshing after the uh, kind of difficult-to-follow um, visuals of Quantum of Solace.
0: Now, with that scene where he's following the assassin,
2: mm-hmm.
0: now, for me, that was... It, it wasn't an action scene. It was a spying scene. It was actually him just, you know, observing and following him and just to find out more, because if it had been Casino Royale he would have been he would have chased him up there and run him around and you know and probably killed him and not got any further and this was to show that he was a bit more you know it was more uh, more thinking more well I'm actually gonna see what this guy is up to and it, it's it's not until he's caught out by his reflection in the glass that the that, that it becomes a fight scene yeah so you know that that scene wasn't about You know, it wasn't an action scene. It was a spying scene. But
1: what I'm saying, Simon, is there should have been tension in it. And I felt that there wasn't. Uh, You know, even a spying scene, which I agree with you. Absolutely, that's what it is. But I just felt that there was no... Um for, for me, that part felt very flat, and yeah. absolutely there's there there 's some evolution in craig's in in the bond character which which is good in fact it it does before we get into um sky four big time it does actually ask? enter another fan fan theory that doesn 't work, but bless fans, I love the fact they try and make sense of all this. there is a f- fan theory that between quantum of solace and sky 4, hence why you know he suddenly Uh, being classed as, you know, this is a young man's game and, you you know, all of that sort of thing, that apparently the events of all of the other Bond series... (laughs) Took place in between, which of course is ludicrous because it doesn't make any sense at all. Because obviously, this film we have the introduction of Money Penny and the male M character, etc. But uh, I do like those fan theories that are out there. Uh, This is trying to explain the Aston Martin, which again we'll we'll, we'll come on to, um, I'm sure, in due course. But uh, I just thought I'd throw in fan theory number two.
0: Well, for me with Skyfall, I never quite bought this whole thing of him being, you know, classed as, you know, old and out of the game. It just, it was a, it was a bit jarring from the fact that, you know, especially from seeing Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, you know, he's deemed to be this new buck. You know, he's just been promoted to 007 status, and then suddenly within the space of one film, he's now old and out of the game and some sort of dinosaur. Which, um, you know, and it depends on how. Oh, sorry to stop, but who's banging? Uh, Not
2: me. Fireworks, like right, my end, I'm afraid. Can't do much about it.
1: Fireworks?
2: Yep. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. It's kind, of, it's kind of in with the theme. So, you know, is it all early like, or late? <laughs> what it, no, it's exactly this point in Skyfall that the fireworks go off. So I think that's quite right. <laughs>
0: oh okay it just sounds like somebody's trying to beat down your door all right special effects (laughs) added
2: there
0: you go uh all right so uh yeah so for me I, i never kind of bought the fact that he was sort of deemed to be like an older character you know was he you know was between you know the the bit where he gets shot on top of the train and falls into that sort of nightmarish uh you know title sequence and then him sort of you know re, you know enjoying death was he was he out of the game for for a long time
2: well you see i okay let me come in here because i i wasn't aware of that fan theory i don't do fan theories i don't do fandom generally i find it it's well it doesn't me.
1: make any sense anyway so well then about
2: that's it. fine yeah. i i just accepted the film for what it presented i don't you're right I mean, And and actually the whole idea about bond being a bit out of it you know it's been used several times but To be fair, my memory of it is that it comes after the train sequence. So actually, part of the reason why he's out of it is because he fakes his own death for an undetermined period of weeks, maybe months, and then comes back and needs, after a a lot of boozing and probably a bit of whoring as well, um, needs to be wound up again so he can be let loose. So for me, I didn't have an issue with any of that. Um, I think, and we may as well get straight into it since we've already kind of Mm. got there, Um, For me, this was an absolute triumphant return to form. Um, I have one, probably one major caveat about Skyfall, which is why it slightly holds off below Casino Royale for me. Um, But again, first reactions are always important. So I remember seeing it, I know it was only a few years ago, but seeing it in the pictures, it absolutely blew me away. I I had a a slightly irritating experience. I was at the Odeon Leicester Square, which should be our premier venue. Um, but my seating meant that quite a few people who can't seem to concentrate for more than half an hour um, were continually getting up and walking across the screen in front of me. So it, oh. it wasn't the best venue. But even then, I'm absolutely gripped by it. And I like I wasn't even through Casino Royale. Um, it's a much, much darker film than any of the other ones, period. Um, it's for me, it worked absolutely from the get go. That pre-credit sequence was terrific. Interesting to hear, Keith, your views on on Mendes as an action director. Obviously, anyone would have been an improvement on Forster. Um, And to be slightly fair to Forster, he did improve with World War Z, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, I think for this, I was really thrilled by that opening chase because it got the balance just right. It was really, really kinetic. and And for me, going back to the idea of the character, Unusually because like I say, I didn't really pick up on some of the character points from the first couple of films, but for me he is he has become reckless again. And perhaps it's the reckless of confidence rather than the reckless of inexperience and in youth. Um, he's so desperate to fulfil his job that he pretty much kills himself getting onto that train. The way he drives the bike at the, at the balustrade and just flips onto the, the train. Oh good, yeah. And I love that. Um, it was, as Simon said, it was absolutely coherently shot. No problem at all about that. So you could absolutely follow it. Um, interestingly, I've seen at least two, I think, chase sequences along exactly the same roofs in Istanbul, um, taken three, I think, or taken two with one of them um, since then. But it was handled very, very well. Uh, that shoot shot sequence when um, it gets taken out on top of the train was terrific. Um, the title sequence is gorgeous. It's one, it, it really does repay reviewing. In the same way, it's very similar to, conceptually, it's similar to Casino Royale. Uh, it doesn't just tell you about the film, it tells you about the character as well. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderfully scary, dark, immersive title sequence, and the, obviously the, the tune is terrific as well. Um, oh I disagree. I don't don't like that okay. at all. That's all, right. I, think, That's all right.
0: I I have to say the, the the one of the main problems with the Craig films, apart from Casino Royale, is that the um the theme tune sucked.
2: Uh-huh. Okay, well we we'll do a little sidebar on that maybe at the end. Um, yeah, please. Yeah. Actually, let's but do think, that. The credits. Yeah. But I think that but I think for um Skyfall, as you take it through, you know, you go back to that idea again. As Simon was saying about the shadowy villain, that works really well. You have the destruction of MI6, or at least not the destruction of it but the wounding of it um the flight down to the underworld and that's that's another actually reference to what to me is the overall theme of the film which is if casino Royale was about love skyfall is about death um it's obvious um it's about bond's death it's about um Severine, the, the, the the woman who always is the first one that gets killed um about silver of course about M. um the whole idea of death is woven throughout the whole film and um, the lyrics of the, of the title sequence. Um, There was a scene that does appear in the film, but they cut it Um, after the explosion in MI6. You might remember there's a very short scene where I think M is looking at the coffins, or or, uh, Bond is looking at the coffins, and they're supposed to be the MI6 agents that were killed in the building. You don't really get that in the film. What they actually shot was a huge, long, formal funeral sequence um, at um, the Royal College at Greenwich. And it was about driving home that point. Well, they cut all that out in the end for timing, uh, which is a shame. But all of that was about the film. And so when you get to the foreign, you get this lovely, wonderful, really kind of Fleming stroke. Richard Chopping, who did all those really horrible book jackets of the original films with skulls and creatures and things, original books on them. You get all of that when he goes off to Macau. Uh, You get the Komodo dragons, the whole thing. And I think for me, that the only flaw in the film really is. The whole story wise, the whole business about um, Silver getting himself captured didn't really work because the whole sequence with the tube chase is just ludicrous. And it's a shame because the rest of the film is great. But that is an absolutely ludicrous sequence. It makes no sense within the context of the the story. Um, It doesn't actually advance the plot in any way that couldn't have been advanced in a more convincing way. Um, It's very, very silly. And And it's a shame because it does kind of pull you out of it.
0: Well, I, I I have I didn't have many problems with the uh, tube chase. The thing that knocked me out of it was the fan service to celebrate fifty years of Bond. So when Bond and Emma driving up to Scotland and the whole thing with the uh, Aston Martin being like the one from Goldfinger, oh that that knocked me out. I mean, all oh, you know, ejector seat and stuff. And then we get the whole sequence in in Skyfall itself where it's home alone.
2: Oh, see, I don't. Well, I've never seen Time Alone, so I can't comment on that. But for me, it really worked because the whole point is, as he says in the film, you know, he's going back in time um, in a lot of ways. He's going back to his family home, he's going back in his past. Um, it's where he and Silver then will meet each other. To me, it was absolutely organic. Um, I have heard people comment on that before, so I'm obviously not going to decry that because if that's a view, that's a view. But for me, didn't get that at all. Um, I thought that whole final act worked really, really well. It was darker than all the rest. Of course, it ends in in the worst way possible. And I think, again, just to finish it, the way it flips around in the end, the way it resets the clock. And uh, as one of you said at the beginning, um, we've got a new M, a new money penny. You know, The whole thing begins again. It's beautifully done. Really, really well done. Um, Well acted by Naomi Harris, particularly. Definitely got to do a shout out for um, uh, Mr. Fiennes uh, as the new M. I thought he was terrific. Um, And I can't be the only one to think that at one point when anything was going a bit pear-shaped, there's a great shot of him with his arm bandaged and he comes up behind Ben Whishaw. And you really think he's going to be the bad guy. You think he's going to pull a gun and shoot him or something. And I think that's a credit to the whole thing, the script, the direction, and Ralph Fines as an actor. So no i loved it um tube sequence aside um i think it's terrific
0: well the the problem i had with the the car was because in casino royale he had won a car like that so when he you know oh i'll just get my car out of uh, the garage i thought that was going to be the casino royale car but then of course it turned out to be more like the car from goldfinger and for me it was just like oh really
2: uh, still, they're both DB5s, so does it, I'm not sure it matters.
0: Well, yeah, but the one in Casino Royale didn't have ejector seats and machine guns. And, and it
1: was a different side drive. It was a different, um, you know, it was a left-hand drive or whatever. So, yeah, well, it was.
2: It's a fair point about the about the special equipment, but I suppose you could say that in this continuity, there's no reason why, having won it, he didn't get Q Branch to add all the extras.
0: I know, but they had gone sort of, they had moved away from that a lot. They, they had true. moved away from the gadgets. I mean, yeah. the, the gadgets that he does use, you kind of, they, they seem to be more practical. Yeah, they're more real. Cool. And something that a field agent would have. Because that was one of the things with the other Bond films was that so it's like, so I'm going to go down to Q and he's going to give me all the devices I'm going to need to get out of all the action and traps and everything that i'm going to be in yeah no
2: that's it's like
0: it's like somebody get the copy of the script to q and say so can you come up with a magnetic watch uh you know uh threads that can blow up you know all the all all the stuff that he's going to need to escape the traps but
2: i don't think Mm. i don't think they overdid it because i don't even think they use the ejector seat Mm. but if they do i don't remember it um no they they joked about oh
0: well they used the ejector seat in uh spectre though didn't they oh that's a
2: yeah, that that's, that's cool. yeah. I was gonna but say, in terms of Skyfall, I think it worked really well. It was a sufficient nod to, to tie up continuity, but it didn't overwhelm the story. The car gets blown to bits in the end anyway, so it doesn't really matter either way. Um, yeah, yeah. No, for me, I loved it. I think it was great, and I think again with the spoiler warning, Julie announced killing off M, Never saw that one coming at all. Um, I don't know to this day, and it doesn't matter now, obviously whether there was any leakage or because I avoid all spoilers and all you know previews beforehand apart from the trailer. So I I really didn't see that coming at all. And that really, really shocked me. So, you know, all credit for them for doing it.
0: No, there were there wasn't any spoilers about that. There, that was certainly not a, a plot point mm-hmm. they'd gotten out.
1: Right. Sky4 then. Uh sorry I've got I've got a few things to say about this. Um uh f- first of all I'll say that there is a, a hell of a lot of good in this film. Um uh, you, you know, it is still a strong film, even though I've got my my issues with it. Um, but there's some really good stuff and some really strong points to this, which I'll come to. Um, Few, I'm, I'm going to kind of get some of my gripes out of the way first. Um, going right, right, right back to the beginning. Um, OK, one of the things I did like about Quantum of Solace at the end was they decided to do the gun barrel logo at the end, and I thought to myself, even though Quantum of Solace had its problems, I thought to myself, you know what, that kind of makes sense because he's been on this arc from uh, the beginning of Casino Royale, which you've already said, uh, Chris, you know, they they, they did uh, amazingly with the sort of uh, way they, they incorporated a sort of gun barrel logo, but it wasn't exactly that. And then they waited right the way through. We didn't get it at the beginning of Quantum of Solace, but we kind of ended that with it. And I thought, okay, fine. And James Bond will will return. And obviously, this is supposed to be some years on. Now, the fact straight away, I was I was angry right from the 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 moment that the uh, the the, the uh, MGM logo had gone, because I wanted to see as a Bond fan the opening gun barrel logo with the bond music and we didn't get that and i thought what what the hell we should have this so that angered me that they left it to the end in this film it should have been at the beginning in my opinion um i do agree with you though that i thought the actual credit sequence and theme song which i know we're going to come on to as a separate thing later was great in terms of the actual story uh, well, one of the things I have a problem with, uh, and again, my, my, my good friend and composer, Neil Myers, I know is a big, big fan of, of, of Thomas Newman and uh, who has done some excellent work. Don't get me wrong. Uh, one of the things, one of the few creative control things that a director of a Bond film does get uh, that isn't so producer led is they do get to pick their composer. And obviously, Sam Mendes always works with Thomas Newman, who he, who's done some fantastic tracks with him. I have to say, though, as a Bond score, I had problems with uh, Skyfall. Um, I really liked David Arnold's work. To me, David Arnold kind of did what John Barry had done through the you know the golden years of Bond, uh, and had uh, sort of modernized it. Uh, I felt that in this, there wasn't enough of the Bond theme for my liking. Um, and I kind of got it, you know, you, you know, the, the fact that they didn't give it all away right from the beginning of Casino Royale. But by, by now I thought we were at a point where not only could we have gun barrel logos, but we could also have Bond themes. And it wasn't played enough in this, in my opinion. Um, the other thing, yes, I, I love the sort of, New introduction of, of of a younger Q. Again, you know, we we we've had a woman M, and you know, it's time now to have rather than Q being an older, more experienced guy that he sort of has a fatherly figure and looks up to. We've got we've got a young, brave new world, as he puts it, you know, in in Ben Wishaw. I kind of like that. Um, the 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 gun, which wasn't really a new gadget, because he had a signature gun in license to kill. But that ended up just becoming that sort of plotty bit with the uh, the, the the dragons, uh, which again I I, I kind of didn't like that. That to me was very sort of CGI and pulled me out, and I I, I had a problem with that bit.
0: Yeah, there was just, there was a lot of use of CGI creatures in it. The scorpion on his hand at the beginning was really badly done CGI. Yeah, yeah
2: it's funny because I never noticed that, and I certainly never noticed the um, tomato dragons. I, it's not the first time I've heard that, but. And as yeah. with everything, you you can only go by what you experience, and perhaps yeah. it was down to the the way I was sitting and what I was looking at, but I never noticed that at all. So and I'm glad I didn't because it you know it wasn't a problem.
1: No, the well, I mean these are things that obviously kind of ruined it for me. Um, I'm near I'm nearly at the end of my gripes, and then I'll I'll obviously say some good things. Um, mo- <laughs> m- moving moving forward, uh, I'm absolutely 100% in the same camp as Simon on this whole Aston Martin DB5 um malarkey uh, basically oh, i inc- thought i was
2: picky wow
1: no no I, I have i have a real issue with this <laughs> in, in in um and i understand why they did it i get it that it was the 50th anniversary of bond and all this sort of thing i can i can kind of see why they did it and i know the audience loved it and it got a cheer and all that sort of shit and by the way the music that they use when they reveal that is actually one of david arnold's cues interestingly best cue in the film anyway um, but yeah, the, the the Aston Martin I had a problem with because again, uh, as Simon had said, they, they'd gone through this thing of of rebooting Bond with Casino Royale, and therefore you know going back to the origin story and wiping the slate clean, okay? And this just felt like you know a total fan service going back to um, uh, you, you know referencing Goldfinger. It obviously makes no sense whatsoever within the continuity of uh the reboot and and the daniel craig films it was done very subtly by having him win a db5 um in in uh casino royale but it was a completely different car it was a different side drive it was just that it was a silver db5 and all of the references to having an ejector seat and all that really pissed me off uh and the fact that they get to use the machine guns in the next gripe i've got which again, I agree with Simon on. I hated the old the whole M Guyver, <laughs> uh, bloody A Team, <laughs> Home Alone finale thing. Uh, I just thought that was that was really poor, um, and 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 yeah, had real issue with that part or that plot point. Um, on the on the plus side though, I agree with you, Chris, that I, I didn't see the the M death coming, and I thought that. Uh, they handled that beautifully, and that 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 was, you know, well acted and a, and a nice sort of arc for her character. Um, I also really enjoyed the introduction, finally, of Money Penny, and yeah, uh, I I love Naomi Harris anyway, but um, I think she's absolutely fabulous in the role, and, and I'm glad, you know, that uh, that that they've gone with a different ethnicity and whatever for that character. I think that's great. And um yeah, Rafe finds I can't say enough good things as is taking over from from uh, M. Um, it's quite interesting that Rafe was actually one of the contenders for Bond between the Dalton and Brosnan era. He was kind of on on the list and had been in chats with Eon Productions. So I think it's quite nice that even though he didn't end up actually being a James Bond, He he, you know, has become now part of the franchise, and I think his addition as 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 M is great. Uh, I love the whole ending of of, of it, where you know we're back in the office, and you see the you know the famous you know padded door that uh, that 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 Bonds you know the uh, the classic Bonds were famous for, and the the you know going through Money Penny's office and and all of that sort of stuff so
2: i uh, kind fascinating, of fascinating liked... fascinating fan fact one of those doors was the one they used from the set from the Spiral of me
1: hey brilliant i love that i love those facts so yeah there was a lot of good things in this and uh, my 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 gripes are somewhat nitpicky i mean the thing about the aston martin and the reboot uh i kind of liken it a little bit to and this is a whole other podcast so i'll say it briefly but Kind of what they did with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness after doing an absolutely fantastic reboot with 2009 Star Trek where they could go off in any direction they wanted. And then when they came to uh, Into Darkness, they had to do the whole Roth of Khan thing. And I had a sorry spoilers, guys, but I had a, a big, big issue with that also. And it just seems a shame when these franchises do a really good job of reinventing themselves that suddenly they'll do some winky fan service thing like that and and i didn't like that um but 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 overall it's not a bad movie i will i will say that and uh <laughs> you, you know well
0: as we're going into specter i will say that the reveal of Blowfield um when he says well you know i don't go by this other name i'm known as Blowfield." and to the to the character it's kind of like yes yeah, so i what but so the audience is like, "Ooh, Blowfield," and I think that was—I think that's a problem with cinema at the moment—is that um, they do things in films that have meaning for the audience, but for the character that they're doing it to, there's like, oh, uh, what?" So, like in *Star Trek Into Darkness*, when it's revealed who um, Cumberbatch is, Khan, he goes, "I am Khan." So the character is like, "Yeah, I, I'm." kirk hi nice to meet you doesn't mean anything but to the audience oh my god it's Khan! so you know it is it, this weird thing where you know uh for an audience member it means a lot but to the characters in the film it's like well oh, okay good for you you're Khan.
2: but you see i think that's an interesting point i think that's a good way to segue into Spectre because you i uh, think uh, keith i think you were saying about you know fan service element in terms of the DB 5 if you remember, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to, but if you remember, die another day, which was the 12th, the fortieth, it was yeah. the, it was either the fortieth or the twentieth film. I can't remember. There was a point to it. It was um, the
1: fortieth anniversary. It, it, it you, was, was it was it was the fortieth anniversary film, and they had and a horrible load of references because of they that. they did. Yeah,
2: and exactly that. Uh, some of which actually were quite subtle. Um, an awful lot of them, as with the rest of the film, actually weren't. And and for me, as I say, we might as well get into it, but. That was one of the things that ruined Spectre. And I think it's very strange. And I think, you know, I'll introduce it by saying that, for me, what I found was very curious when you look at it is that out of the four films, you start incredibly strongly, we're all agreed, you then have a massive failure, because it was. Um, you then pick yourself up again broadly with, um, with Skyfall. And then amazingly, and even more amazingly, seeing it's the same director, it falls over completely again in the last film. And and even more weirdly, when you start to analyse it, it has exactly the same structure in terms of flaws and, and good bits, I think. So in the same way that, for me, Quantum had a pretty strong opening and then it kind of faded after that, um, Spectre's the same. I think that amazing opening, um, which looked at the time to be a single shot, although it turns out it wasn't, but still very good, Um with the Day of the Dead parade, absolutely brilliant. And the helicopter stunt as well. So you kind of get two pre-credit sequences in one, which is lovely. Um, quite like the theme tune. Um, spoiler. Um, I quite liked it. and uh, not, But not interestingly, not a very good at all, actually, title sequence under it, I didn't think. Didn't really tell us much other than the heavily trailed bit about Vector. But hey, that's what the film's called. So that's not really a surprise. Um, and then it kind of went downhill, and I and it and again, obviously it was the most recent one, but I remember my reactions very clearly. Um, the first thing, and I haven't seen it, I should say, I haven't seen it again since it it was out, whatever it was last year. Um, not sure I necessarily want to, to be honest. I think you have this bizarre, aimless, and appropriate since we're talking about cars. You have this bizarre, aimless car chase, which is without doubt the worst car chase I've ever seen. Um, because it isn't a chase. A chase has a beginning and an end. And the point is, the person doing the chasing is pursuing the pursuee for a reason. Well, apart from using the ejector seat, which they don't even show you, probably because they're embarrassed, um, it just it's just them poodling around a deserted Rome with no sense of urgency. A lot of weird, in jokey stuff about, um, what was it, 0010 or 009's car and all these gadgets. And then this pathetic ending. And I just thought, are you taking a mickey or is this serious? And unfortunately the rest of the film went on like that. Um, I can't even remember most of it, which is probably a good thing. I think we, you talked earlier, both of you about um, Bond as a character as portrayed by Craig and how he develops and then potentially sort of slips back a bit. Having introduced um, Ralph Fiennes so well, he then becomes this sort of strange slightly camp figure in this film, which didn't really make a lot of sense. You have, uh leah Sadu coming in trying hard but in a woefully underwritten part um and then for me what really really ruined it if i was if i was out of loyalty was hanging on up to this point i think the two things that really screwed it for me was um the man i can't even remember his name sadly he plays the villain um well-known actor that Christoph waltz thank you very much um I felt after what ten years of getting away from middle European nehru jacketed villains, we have oh a middle European nehru jacketed villain uh, and he doesn't have an underground layer, but he does have a hollowed out volcano really is that what we're down to now uh, to me you can I don't know you can term it fan fan pleasing or you know affectionate nod or homage or whatever one of those justifying phrases you want to use to me, it just sucked it was. Really, really poor. And I think I'm by no means an advocate for the sort of feminist branch of filmmaking. I don't really have a view one way or the other. But even I found it desperate that Leah Sadhu gets tied up and, you know, caught in a lift shaft at the end. Again, really? Is that what we've come down to in 2015? Um, I really hated it, actually. I thought it was a real disaster. I actually think it was worse than Quantum of Solace, um, albeit not by much. Um, and it just felt like shoving, and there were, you know, nods to the past, like the rooftop restaurant in the um, in the Alps, which is an obvious nod to the to, um, Majesty's Secret Service. But I don't want all that. I don't want nods. You, you've given up on that years ago. You don't need to go back there again. Um, and if it wasn't if it wasn't a hoped for end to the Bond to the Craig era, I really think it had to be an end to it because if that was the best they could do. It wasn't going to
0: go anywhere. Well, I thought it was an end to the Craig, but not for those reasons. I thought it tied it up quite nicely because you did. I have to say, I disagree with you a hell of a lot. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but the, the characters, the characters in this film, um, all the actors are, are, seem to be at ease with the with their characters. They seem to know them quite well, including Daniel Craig. Um, you have a character now who's far more seasoned. Who uh, you know, he instead of going around running after people and, and shooting them, you know, he has a lot more control. And you know, I thought um, the the fan service in it, it, even though there was a bit, was wasn't as bad as Skyfall. It wasn't as oh, it was on worse, it was on way the worse as Skyfall. No, it no, Skyfall. it was not. No, not not in any way. I mean, it wasn't sort of a, a joke made out really? of it. Oh, Blofeld! Oh, ho, ho. No, I, I, I've watched. I watched it again last night. Now, I mean, I can. I agree with you about the the car chase through Rome. It it wasn't that exciting, but the 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 fight in the train. I I really loved the fight in the train. I I thought uh, Batista Batista was uh, a very good uh, sort of Bond, not villain, but kind of like uh, secondary, and. You know, that's that fight where uh, they're using everything, you know, to hit each other. I mean, there was the stuff that me and my friends were talking about when we were uh, younger, when, you know, after seeing like, you know, the Pierce Brosnan films and stuff like that, where it's a, wouldn't it be great to see a villain who kills people with stuff that's around him? It's not some sort of, you know, like with Jaws, he bites them with his metal teeth. You know, or with Odd Job where he uses a bowler hat to, to 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 behead people and stuff like that.
2: No, I accept that, but I think the very fact and I and you're right, it was a good sequence, but it was still another fight on a train. Well, that's quite a familiar Bond trope. Anything on the ice, anything with skis, anything on the water, you know. It's, it's fine. I mean, it, it's really interesting hearing a different view, and I most people like Spectre, so I I appreciate that I'm probably in the minority, but. um Again, I just thought it was, I mean, you know, like I say, underground volcano, uh, middle European. Well, it
0: wasn't, another, it wasn't a volcano. It was a I mean, it was a It was, a, it was, it was a meteor uh, crater.
2: That's
0: it. I mean, they actually had the, the meteor there. I mean, it, I, I kind of like its themes about the whole, you know, uh, surveillance society we live in. I mean, which is something that was kind of they're following on from Skyfall. Because with the villain and that, he was a a character who was able to sort of hack into stuff and use the internet to his benefits. I mean, the way that he, um, the island they find him on, it it was evacuated because through using his knowledge of the internet and stuff, he was able to um, hack in and make it look like there was a meltdown in the plant there, making everybody rush out, you know, that kind of sort of cyber terrorism. Which is kind of like, you know, was a topic that they did in Black Hat, which they right. didn't do that successfully. And, but in a Bond film, kind of works that whole, it, it seems to be uh, that sort of touch of fantasy where you think, God, you know, nobody could ever do that really. Who knows? But it is that whole sort of idea of, you know, you're being, all of us are being surveillance. All the time we're on video cameras wherever we go and how do people use that information i mean we're living in a in an era where um you know websites get hacked and your information is then sold on to people and then you know people are making money off you and so this film kind of taps into that the whole idea of you know of of surveillance of you know is another form of control you know they they manipulate uh countries to sign on to this you know um this act by doing acts of terrorism you know because uh they had this vote don't they where south africa is the only one who votes for no mm-hmm. and so the next thing you know there's a, a terrorist atrocity that happens there a bomb goes off and so then they they they're given a reason why they should vote yes and we see this stuff in the news i mean i'm not saying that there's the spectre out there and they're trying to get all our information but we are living in an age where you know you're we're all on the internet we're all in the we're all on the internet we give our details away to all these kind of websites i mean even if we log on to fi now in shops we give them more information and you do not know what those companies are doing with our information most of those companies are selling the information on to advertisers one of the main reasons why we get spam is because somebody has sold our email address to somebody and if it's not if they haven't sold it then somebody's gotten that information from somewhere and they've passed it on to these people and that's you know it's an inconvenience but then you wonder what else can be done with your information i don't think it's like the net where somebody could be you know taken out of existence like sandra bullock but it does make you think and to have something like that in a Bond film is kind of refreshing because most of the time in Bond films, the villain, you know, is a global domination. I mean, it did become a bit of a joke with uh, with the Austin Power films, you know, Dr. Evil, one million dollars. And so the these Bond films have, have sort of kind of brought it back to the sort of times we're living in.
1: Okay. Well, I mean... Uh... <laughs> i'm kind of i i I take i'm glad you both sort of went first really because i take uh both of your points and i agree with some and disagree with others um i have to say for me just looking at overall and i can as you well know i can certainly nitpick stuff um but for me spectre was actually very enjoyable and um i actually found it more enjoyable and it worked for me better than than Skyfall which I know I'm I'm usually in a minority on with with, with that statement um but I but I hopefully sort of back it up a little bit here as to why um first of all the right from the get go the thing that made me happy and I was smiling within seconds of this starting was I got my gun barrel logo with the James Bond theme at the beginning of the film where it bloody should be. Yeah. Uh, So they got that, you know, they got that right this time, in my opinion, that was great to see. So I thought that started off well. Um, One of the things, uh, just, just a thing about Eon productions here. And uh, I, I think they're kind of damned if they do damned, if they don't, um, what I mean by that is, regardless of how great um Casino Royale was, and and the three of us have certainly waxed lyrical about this film, um, but I have lots of, you know, not necessarily people in the industry, but I have lots of mates that are bond fans and are film fans. And it's interesting because Casino Royale brought up a, a massive amount of debate amongst my sort of bond fan fan friends and it was interesting because with casino royale they kind of a lot of problems a lot of people had the problems that some of the tropes and the formula was missing so in other words they'd say it was annoying that he didn't have bond luck and he wasn't womanizing and there wasn't one liners and there was no gadgets and there was no Q branch and there wasn't a villain's lair, and there weren't exotic locations and, and all of those sort of things that people say, well, that's what makes a bond film, right? In this film, you finally got, I mean, it literally ticks every box I've just mentioned there. Yeah. Um, and you know you have all of that it is more back to a sort of classic bond formula and and, and those tropes but now of course and and i understand this people are saying ah oh, yeah but this is a bit silly and this is a bit far fetched and all of that sort of thing so they kind of they are kind of damned if they do damned if they don't um i thought that they got the balance of this quite good in this film and i do totally agree with simon where uh, even though I take your point, Chris, that there are references and 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 tropes and 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 you know harkens back to to the classic films in this, I do still feel that they are done in a more subtle and realistic way than the Aston Martin was in Skyfall. For me personally, I didn't have a problem. They they kind of made me smile that those references were there. Um but I didn't think that they were they were too heavy-handed.
0: Can I just interrupt you for a sec? I think the reason why it works better in Spectre than Skyfall is because it starts off with those references in the film and it's peppered throughout, while Skyfall, you don't have anything, and then suddenly at the end, boom. The, the, the third act, boom, there yeah. it is. And you're like, what? So, I mean, straight away, when you start off with the skeleton face, it, you know, live and let die. Yeah. You know? And so it it's full full of those references. It is
1: it is absolutely full of them. And and I, and I kind of I kind of take Chris's point where it's gone from something that obviously they'd set up this new reboot and had it all sort of very realistic and very serious to something that, that that's that's now uh, somewhat more fantastical with this. Um, but I do feel that again, if we're looking at Daniel Craig's arc, which is kind of the theme of this particular podcast. I feel that throughout throughout the films, he has kind of got to this point now where he is he has got over some of his issues, you know, um, from losing Vesper and you know having his heart broken and things of that nature. And he's had more missions, and he's and he's become more more confident as a character. Um, so I, I think that, that if you like, in terms of a beginning, middle, and end, we have kind of now gone back to the Bond um uh you, you know of, of the past and i think it sort of works um what uh, and i also think the score to this film was better because I, as i said i kind of slagged off thomas newman uh for skyfall but i thought uh in this instance it worked better we'll come on to the theme song and in, in credit sequences when we do our thing at the end of that so i won't go there yet um the other thing i thought was There was some quite good continuity. Um, They obviously did try and tie up a lot of plot points and loose ends from the other films. They kind of wrecked on the whole quantum thing, whereas quantum was part of the Spectre organization. Now, um, I won't go into it on this podcast because we don't have time, but I did actually do a lecture um, on Spectre uh, at the City Lit, which was... um, about the whole sort of history of spectre and and why they weren't able to uh to use the name and then and a lot of the uh backstory until this this point um but rather than go into that in this podcast what i might do at some point is uh there is an audio recording of it although it's not particularly great um and so i've got that plus some of the slides that i use so maybe uh at some point, I can I can get that edited and we can add it as a link, um, you know, on on the site maybe. But or if
0: if you've got the audio, let's why not have as a, a bonus episode for for the podcast.
1: Now, I mean, the audio isn't great quality though because uh, uh, it was recorded in a lecture theatre. But um, I don't know, it might work. Maybe that's something we'll look into. But uh, but mo- moving on um, in, in, into. Uh, spectre as i said it, I, I think overall it was very enjoyable and it worked uh for a lot of those reasons i mean it was a bit silly in places i like you simon i thought the train fight was absolutely superb and obviously referenced both uh from russia with love and um you know spy who loved me uh, all in one um if i had to have a nitpick about that though it just made me laugh that after all of that fight, they didn't stop the train. <laughs> you know, they kept going and getting dropped off, which obviously is uh, totally unrealistic, but but uh, but all part of it. The other thing, um, again, this is being a bit nitpicky, but if I had to, some, and I've heard some people complain about this, the whole sort of, okay, not actual brother, but the whole sort of Blofeld and um, uh, Bond. you know sort of growing up together which was uh sort of referenced briefly in skyfall and picked up on in this uh you know people have made sort of allusions to dr evil and (laughs) said that that's a little bit silly um but you know i'm kind of don't have a massive problem with it it's okay you know
0: well i think why people think it's silly is because it it plays into the whole fact that this one character was behind the scenes throughout all four films. Yeah. And I think it's whether or not you buy that on or not. That, you know, that the he was so um pissed off with Bonds. I mean the whole thing of him being a cookie. Mm-hmm. Um that um that he would go to such extremes to make Bond's life hell. Yeah. But then but the things that happen in Casino Royale. It, no way of knowing that it would have been Bonds chasing uh, the, the sheaf, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know it's, so it's a massive it's, buy. Yeah.
1: It is a massive buy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the most part, I enjoy it. And, you know, there's there's lots to say about these these films. I know we've already said a lot, but there's this there's, there's still a lot more, and probably things I've missed here, and listeners will be screaming, "Oh, why didn't you mention that?" But um, but <laughs> overall, that's where it's at. And you know, I, I was quite satisfied with this film, um, and and you know, I I've enjoyed all of the Daniel Craig films, uh, but this one for me was probably the second one in enjoyment after. Um, uh, casino royale which it doesn't quite top in my opinion
0: yeah casino royale is a is a hard act to follow
1: indeed it is
0: so yeah as we sort of sort of reaching the end of this um just briefly talking about the uh credit sequence so uh as we alluded to um the the, the credit sequences in this they, they they quite heavily involve daniel craig in them which is kind of unusual for Bond films, because usually you might see Bond at the beginning, and then it's it's usually a, a, like a model or something for the rest of it, or a silhouette. And to see Daniel Craig, actually in, you know, actually him on in the credit sequence is is, is something quite novel. But...
1: Well, I mean, bit Morris Binder did it with Moonraker a little bit. Um, yeah, you, you know, where where Roger Moore and, and Jaws had sort of jumped out of the airplane and it went slightly into the beginning credits and obviously Daniel Kleiman, who took over for the Pierce Brosnan films uh, you know die another day even though we, we all agree I think is not a great film but some of the um the uh credit sequence to that actually ties into the the, the film as well so it has been done before that um but uh yeah maybe may, maybe even more so with with this one
2: yeah, I mean, I think it's a, Simon makes a good point, which I hadn't really thought of before. Um, my view is that Casino Royale was the first film since actually, and we keep coming back to Die Another Day, which is really worrying. Um, it was the first film that actually continued part of the story because it confirms there, there's text and there's, there's shots that show the confirmation of his double O status. So that is actually part of the plot, albeit a small part. Um, and then that was picked up again with um, Skyfall, of course. Um, I say with the with the exception of, of Spectre, which I thought was somewhat forgettable because I clearly have forgotten it. Um, I think they were all very, very good and very creditable. And I've actually, you know, kind of alluded to those before. Um, I didn't mention that, again, one of the very few good bits about Quantum was the title sequence. I know, again, I'm probably alone in that, but I really liked it. I always liked the tune. Um, and I think the actual credits are fantastic. This, this kind of slightly weird idea of, it's actually quite hard to describe, but how the camera angles change and one thing sort of becomes another. I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was good. It was kind of retro, but but quite of the moment simultaneously.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the theme tunes themselves, I think in the grand scheme of Bond films are, are not great. Um, the, the first one for Casino Rao is is probably the best out of the Daniel Craig ones. But they're... They, I mean, I would listen to a lot of the other theme tunes from the other bond films uh but these ones not really and i think the the one for spectre is the worst i actually i actually when when that film first time i watched it i actually turned off the sound (laughs) when that theme tune came on i thought it was terrible and it was whiny
2: well i i i wouldn't disagree with you actually with pretty much everything you've said although Funnily enough, I heard I'd never heard of Sam Smith because I'm not into modern music particularly. Um, but I heard the tune in a pub in Liverpool um, weeks before the film came out, and I thought, "Hmm, I quite like that. I wonder what it is." And I asked someone, and they said, "Oh, it's the new Bond film." I thought, "Oh right, okay." Um, so I didn't think it was too bad, but yeah, I, I, as I say, I'm pretty much with you in terms of the ratings of it. I have to, I have
1: to say, I found uh, when I when I first heard. Um when I first heard Adele's Skyfall, uh, I liked that straight away. When I first heard Sam Smith's uh, writings on the wall for Spectre, um, I didn't like it initially, but I found it a real grower. And um, I think it definitely worked really well in the film, um, you, you know, with 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 the theme in there. So, uh, yeah, I like that one. And, of course, um, I liked Chris Cornell's uh, song for... Uh, Casino Royale, um, excellent, and the way they did the the pre credits uh, or the actual credit sequence for that was was really good. Uh, the only one I had, they used a different company for um, uh, Quantum of Solace. It wasn't it wasn't the usual Daniel Climan um, credits, so they did try something different with that. Um, but I, I wasn't a big fan of the Jack White Alicia Keys song. I, I know they did something different with it, being more of a duet thing. Um, but I think uh, probably next next to Madonna's one, it's probably the worst one for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, Actually, yeah, I, it, the Madonna one has to be the
2: worst one ever. <laughs> it's definitely up there or, or down there, depending on your point of view.
0: I have to say the the other one that springs to mind that I've I've never is one track I never liked was the uh, theme tune to the Man with the Golden Gun. Oh uh, yeah,
1: Lulu's one. Yeah, that's oh, kind of. So Awful. with these kind of innuendo lyrics yes
2: um
0: i didn't mind that it's just it was just an awful tune
2: yeah it's probably not a coincidence that some of the best american films happened in the late 60s and early 70s and at the same time they were pretty much rock bottom for a lot of the british films and particularly the bond films um i, I don't think that's a coincidence
1: no so, no, no yeah. not at all um okay to, to, to sort of wrap up then what, one, one thing I will, will say is, um, I know we, we've kind of said, and we've kind of, I think come to the conclusion with, with what we've talked about with Daniel Craig, that he does indeed have an arc. And y- y- you, know, I know you've both said that you feel, you know, Spectre is the end of that arc to, to an extent. Um, however, uh I, I, I just want to pose this thought uh which could be awful but it it, it I, I but it's a thought nonetheless um first of all i'd i'd love to see daniel craig do another one uh regardless of what may have appeared in the news at the moment um you you, you know i've seen many of an interview where he said that he may do more as well um but i sort of find now we've got Blofeld, uh, and now we've got Bond. He's kind of left Secret Service, and he's he's happy. Uh, it, it almost loans itself now to a in the vein of end of Mag- on a Majesty Secret Service and beginning of Diamonds Are Forever. It could almost loan itself to uh, you know a Blofeld revenge film, you, you know where um, uh, Madeline Swan you know does end up getting killed or something at the hand of Blofeld and this is what brings Bond back into the secret service and and get revenge I mean I know we've covered this before in in films but uh I just put that out there as a thought is it necessarily the end or or could he carry on and do more
0: um I would like to think it was the end because that storyline is i as soon as you were saying it, I was just like, oh, really? I mean, give the guy a break.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's happy now, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I
2: think the problem is less with less with Craig and, and almost completely on the side of the production. The I, I, I take the valiant defences that amounted in favour of Spectre, but for me, it was a disaster, and it, it showed that for whatever reason... Either the franchise is tired, or it needs one of its periodic renewals. And it may be that the sheer effort of producing four films in that new vein that we talked about, that Casino Royale ushered in, um, has a kind of natural end to it. In the same way that most pop groups don't last more than about seven years, um, with a few honourable exceptions. Um, maybe there's a there's a similar issue around that kind of on, ongoing franchise. And, and you know, at the moment. All those other franchisable films seem to get redone every two or three years. I, frankly, I tuned out years ago, but it, there must be something in that. I think um, so. I think I think it's less to do with Craig in terms of him as an actor and as portrayed the character, and everything to do with what the franchise can do with that actor and with that character, and it's whether the two feel themselves matched still. And as I say, my my view pretty firmly all this year for various reasons has been they're not.
0: All right, final thing then. Uh, Who do you think should replace him?
2: (laughs) I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. Um, I don't have a view because you'd need to sit down with Spotlight and crank through all of the male actors aged between about 30 and 40. Um, I don't think it should be Idris Elba. Uh, He's just not the right kind of actor for that role. Um, I don't think it should be Tom Hiddleston either for the same reason. Um, Make of that what you will. But I don't know. I doubt anyone guessed when they replaced the the uh, character in every one of its six or seven different iterations. A bit like Doctor Who, actually. I don't think anyone really guessed any of those. So
1: I don't know. Ah, really... there's, there's the answer. Bond is a time lord. That's why.
2: <laughs> that make, that
1: it all makes sense. That That's what it is. There you go. Fan would theory it be have,
2: have an ejector seat, though? That's the
0: question. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um yeah, I mean, Idris Elba, I think, is out of the running because he's now filming the Dark Tower series. And uh, if you read the books, you know it's a very, very long series. So God knows how many films are going to be made of that. And, um, yeah, um, I don't know. It'd be nice to see an unknown do it. Maybe maybe a Key Files? Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll do it. I'm available. <laughs> if, if Eon Productions are listening, uh, you know, uh, Debbie Williams or whatever, hey, I'll come in and read give it to me baby no uh hey no I, I mean i think um for me i think actually michael fassbender would be great and the reason yeah. i say that is i don't know whether you've seen x-men first class but at the beginning oh, yeah. of that that's set in 1964 i believe 62 or 64 but it's right around the sort of uh you know dr no stroke uh, goldfinger era and um if you see him in that in in the sort of 60s skinny three-piece suit uh he really does i think look the part and i also believe he has the acting chops to pull it off as well so i actually think michael fassbender would make a great bond
0: yeah i'd agree with that
1: but who knows he's not the only contender for sure but uh (laughs) but you know if they're really desperate and really scraping the bottom of the barrel i have lost a lot of weight in the last six months so uh (laughs) you, you, you know i'm i'm absolutely up for it 100 percent. it would be a dream come true literally there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh brilliant um well uh i think uh, that brings us the end to our uh, bond special um just leaves me to thank uh chris rogers for joining us thank you chris you're very welcome
1: thanks for bearing with us chris i know it's been a tough a tough, uh, a tough fight a tough journey but thank you and uh loved your opinions on all this stuff
2: <laughs> all Right, these missions always go on longer than you expect they do uh so it just leaves
0: us to end in our customary manner so uh chris where can people find your work
2: uh they can find me online at www.chrismrogers.net And, Keith, where can we find your work?
1: Yeah, go to YouTube and put in British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, and there are films that I've made on there. And if you want to see any other stuff that I've been up to, if you go on IMDb and put in my name, Keith Isles, uh, you'll find credits there.
0: And you'll also find Keith listed amongst uh, uh, Bond characters. He's actually in a list of Bond characters because he appears in the film with 007 in his character's name god Mm.
1: close but no cigar or 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 no rolex or or whatever (laughs) omega yeah no 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 martini yeah
0: (laughs) so you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. uh you can listen to this podcast on itunes stitcher and uh all other places where you get your podcasts from Also, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. So uh, thank you very much for listening to this special. And uh, join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell.